Welcome to the Viewpoint Podcast Network. We are a young adults group at Valley View Bible Church in Paradise Valley, Arizona. We meet Thursday nights at 7 o'clock. Find us on Instagram at viewpoint underscore VVVC for more info on how to get connected. Um, we're going to be in the book of James today. We're going to be starting out going through James chapter 1 and uh, just kind of doing a chapter a week for the next several weeks. So before we begin, I'd like to open us up in a word of prayer and then we'll dive right into this. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you just for this evening and just this opportunity we get to just meet together and worship you and glorify and praise your name. I pray, God, that you would just uh, fill us with your spirit, God, that I'd be used as your vessel to speak your words in, in love and truth, God, and that you would open our hearts to be receptive uh, to what you have to say to us. I pray that you would just uh, uh, help clear our minds and our hearts, and God, that we would just be focused on you this evening, God, and that you would just bless our small group conversations afterwards. Lord, we love you and we praise you, and it's in your name. Amen. So quick background as we begin this uh, uh, study on James is, uh, if you're unfamiliar, James is the half-brother of Jesus. In the life of Jesus, he did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He did not believe that Jesus was who he said he was. But it wasn't long after his death and resurrection that James came to believe this and profess this. Um, and he ended up writing a letter that we're going to be studying and uh, it was shortly after he wrote this letter, he was martyred, uh, uh, stoned to death for uh, professing Christ crucified. Uh, in, in verses 1 through 2, it says, James, a servant of God, the Lord of Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. So it's a very short greeting, and he writes to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. The dispersion refers to the Jewish people who are scattered or dispersed, uh, uh, around the known world at the time. And they're scattered by captivity by Babylon and Assyria and through persecution of the Roman Empire. And uh, James, one thing that we're going to keep noting and, and taking reference of as we take, uh, uh, dig into this study is that he very much mimics the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. He has a lot of the same language, a lot of the same analogy, a lot of the same themes, and he does the same thing with the Proverbs. He, you know, the Proverbs are quick sayings so that you can uh, easily remember them and recall them, and he does very similar. Uh, you'll find as we study, there might be certain things that you have heard uh, many times in church before if you've grown up in the church. Uh, the book of James is 108 verses, and James has 54 commands. Uh, 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 theologians say that this is uh, one of the best books to study for practical uh, um, uh, uh, practical um, things of just uh, ways to live out your life uh, um, and practical ways to live out your life. There's 54 commands. You know, we know the two greatest commandments is to love God and love others. James helps give us ideas of what that actually look of, looks like and how we can put that into practice. Chapter 1 is a brief summary of everything covered in chapters 2 through 5. So he kind of summarizes in chapter 1 everything he says very briefly, everything he wants to say, and then in the next couple chapters he dives deeper into that, showing more what it means, what it looks like, and gives more analogies. 
So now we can actually, now that we have some background, some context into what we're studying, let's go, uh, dive in. Um, we'll read it section by section. In James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James says, count it all joy. Have joy in hardships, have joy in trials of various kinds. As many of us have know uh, all too well and have experienced in our own lives of uh, just countless trials, countless uh, 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 t- t- seasons of testing, where we, it's just hardship after hardship after hardship, and it, it becomes difficult to count it all joy. But James says, nonetheless, he says, count it all joy. He said he, this word testing is talking about being refined by fire. It is difficult. It is uncomfortable. It is unpleasant. And yet James says to count it all joy. In the context of gold, when it is refined by fire, it is purified. It is made more valuable. It, it takes out all the dirt and all the junk and it makes it a more purified version of the gold. In the uh, uh, context of um, creating a sword, to refine the sword by fire, you then uh, uh, bang it with a, mat, uh, a hammer, and it strengthens the sword. So in the context of ourselves, it, uh, this testing period, this being refined by fire, purifies us and it strengthens us in the faith. This concept of steadfastness, you will see a lot, especially in this first chapter, is to remain under pressure. Remain the same under pressure, unmoved, unchanging. You are steadfast. You are the same through and through. And uh, uh, James is calling us to be steadfast in the faith. And he says this, steadfast, uh, this steadfastness produces perfection, completion, and we'll be lacking in nothing. The word perfect Many, many pastors I've heard take it out of context and say, oh, we can be without sin, so if you have any sin, then you're not a real believer. And they try and put this theology on their congregations. In uh, November, I went to Tanzania on a missions trip and had a conversation with one of their pastors. And him and I got into a little bit of a debate because to him, uh, if you are a believer, you won't be sick and you won't have sin. And it was a medical clinic, and he was very confused. He says to me, Pastor, why, if the Bible says you will be healed when you receive the Holy Spirit, why are there so many sick people? And it broke my heart to see that not only him, but see so many pastors around the world, in America, in Phoenix. How many pastors, how many believers have this concept of their theology that, oh, if I have any sin in my life, then I'm not a real believer, that God will cast me out. But this idea of perfection doesn't mean a literal perfection, but it's talking about wholeness and completion and perfection in Christ. It is the process of sanctification, this process of being made holy, made sacred, made perfect. That process isn't yet complete until the next life when we spend eternity with Christ Jesus in heaven. This completion is in Christ. This lacking in nothing will be because of Christ. In Nehemiah uh, chapter 8, he says to Israel, The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. 
our strength to endure, our strength to remain steadfast. That is why we are able to count it all joy and endure and produce steadfastness is not through our own might and strength and power, but through that uh, that Christ gives us. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The author of Hebrews and James both uh, uh, have very similar language. This concept of joy, of endurance. Christ counted it all joy when he went to the cross. He despised the shame and yet he endured it. He persevered. He was steadfast. He was unmovable, unshakable, grounded in the faith. He sets the example for us for how we are supposed to live our lives through trials, through hardships. It is unpleasant. We might despise the, the what we are going through. But he remained faithful to the Father and showed us that we are able to do so. Carrying on in verses 5 through 8, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man unstable in all his ways. James says that if we lack anything, we can ask God. And in Christ, we will receive. If you lack wisdom, ask God for wisdom. God doesn't hold back, but He gives generously. He gives in abundance. Proverbs 2, verse 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom from His mouth, comes knowledge and understanding. In chapter 15, it says, Wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord, and humility comes before honor. James says, If you have no wisdom, ask for wisdom. And what does wisdom do? Wisdom instructs us to fear the Lord, to submit to God. So, of course, if we ask, God will give it, and He will give it in abundance. The wisdom to submit to Him, the wisdom to serve Him, to love Him, to honor Him, to glorify Him. And God gives wisdom to those who ask in faith. In the book of Daniel, chapter 2, Daniel uh, uh, is very famous for interpreting dreams. Is one of the things he, he is known for. And uh, the, the king of the time uh, had a dream, and he calls upon Daniel, and Daniel interprets it. And immediately after, he says, I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. He asked God in confidence for wisdom, and God gave it. He asked God in confidence for understanding, and God gave understanding. He asks without doubting. That's what James says, ask with no doubting. 
Why? Because doubt leads to a lack of trust in God. And a lack of trust in God means I'm going to put my trust somewhere else, myself, the world. And that makes me a double-sided man, unstable in all his ways. Someone who's wishy-washy, back and forth, uncertain. Why? Because I know uh, uh, when I make decisions myself, I'm wrong a lot. I don't do things the right way. I don't know what is best. I cannot put my trust in myself. I have to put my trust in God. Doubt in and of itself is not sin, but it can lead us astray. And for those of us that are, that have doubt in our hearts, I, I want us to have a prayer. In Mark chapter 9, we see the, the transfiguration of Christ. And, and just after Jesus comes down the mountain, a man comes up to him and, and asks him to heal his, his son who is demon possessed. The disciples had been trying and it wasn't coming out. And Jesus and the man asked, says, Lord, if you are able, please heal my son. And Jesus almost laughs at him and says, if I am able, anything is possible to for one who believes. And the man says in one short sentence, says, I believe, help my unbelief. And I know I myself have doubted. I've questioned God. But I make this my prayer. This is God, I'm asking for wisdom. But if there's any part of me that doubts, if there's any part of me that questions, I believe, help my unbelief. To ask in confidence and to ask even God to help our unbelief. God, help my doubts, help my fears. God, bring wisdom, bring understanding, bring answers, bring people into my life that can lead me and guide me to you. Carrying on in verse 9, it says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. It's a quick section in, in the middle of this seems odd as I was reading through. I read through a couple times to because I, I wasn't fully understanding why in the middle of this does James all of a sudden stop, talk about wealth and possessions. And so here we see a couple verses on the mention of wealth and lack thereof. And I was reading uh, uh, through the ESV study Bible and it says on the side note that money is amongst one of the greatest and most constant trials for Christians, for people in general. People in hardship question, we, people who, uh, without money, lean on God, depend on God, trust in God. God, please, uh, uh, provide me the money to pay my bills, provide me the money to pay for this, to pay for that. People with lots of money fall into a trap where they don't feel the need to depend on God because they can take care of themselves. Money is one of, amongst one of the greatest and most constant trials for Christians. And I, I, as I was in, as I was reading, I find right after James says to ask for wisdom, he mentions money. God, give me the wisdom to handle my money. God, give me the wisdom to 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 do with this not for my benefit, for yours. To tithe to the church, to give here, to give there. 
You know, we, we are not farmers. We are not uh, 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 um, shepherds. But back in uh, uh, ancient uh, Jewish culture, those were two of the main occupations. And in the, when they would go out and harvest, they would have the first fruits. The first fruits that they would gather in and the first uh, of their harvest that they would bring in, they would give back to God. Same with the, the sheep. They would give the, the sheep without blemish, without uh, uh, imperfections, and they would give it to Christ. And yet we ourselves often don't do that with our own money and our own paychecks. I find myself struggling with this a lot. You know, and I find it right after, again, James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. Then he mentions money, those who are wealthy, those who are poor. And and essentially kind of saying in the middle of this, ask God for wisdom. Proverbs 23.5 says, Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Again, talking about pursuing riches, pursuing uh, 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 passions. You look at them and they're gone like that. They're fleeting. They're for a moment. In verse 12, it jumps right back to what James was talking about earlier. And he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one, when he is tempted, let no one say when he is being tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is, has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And again, he jumps back to this original theme of remaining steadfast under trial. And what did we just say about money is that money is amongst one of the greatest and most constant trials for Christians. So when even money brings that trial, we are supposed to remain steadfast in God. Remain dependent on God. When money is good, when money is not. When life is good, when life is good, when we are healthy, when we are sick, whatever that trial may be, We are called to remain steadfast in the Father. Revelation 2.10 Christ speaks to the church of Smyrna. He says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Again, this concept of, hey, trials are coming is what Jesus says to the church of Smyrna. Trials are coming. You'll be in prison for ten days. And he says, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. This crown of life is mentioned also right here in James chapter 1. It says, the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, uh, uh, he will receive the crown of life. The crown of life gives this picture of a laurel wreath. Something that they would put on the heads of uh, an athletic champion or an emperor. Shows a high honor. 
James also says that God does not tempt us, that we should not say, oh, God is tempting me to sin, for God can neither sin nor be tempted to sin. Sure, God may test us to strengthen our character, as he did to Abraham, as he did to Job, but God never tempts us to lure us into sin. That is the devil's doing. When we are tempted, that is Satan, or that is the passions of our own heart and flesh, being bound by sin. It says in verse 14, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. This concept of being lured and enticed is, is a fishing metaphor. If anyone here has been fishing, you know you put the lure on the end of the hook, uh, end of the hook. The fish, it waits it and it baits the fish into thinking they found food and they hook. And what does that do? It leads them to death. So sin does the same thing. It lures us. It entices us. It makes us think that it is pleasant, that it is satisfying, that it will bring joy. But all sin does is lead us to death. Verse 15 says, Then desire, when it has conceived birth, uh, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, get, uh, brings forth death. Is this imagery of birth and rebirth? When we are born again in Christ, we receive life. When we are born again into this earth, we receive death. Faith, when it is conceived, gives birth to righteousness, and when righteousness is fully grown, brings forth life. Seeking the passions and desires of the heart is fleeting. It is pointless. It will never truly satisfy there but a shadow of the true uh, uh, joy that is in Christ. Only Christ can satisfy uh, uh, the desires of our hearts. Only Christ can give us uh, real love. Only Christ can make us a safe refuge. Christ is our protector. These are all promises uh, 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 of God. Verse 16 says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Here James says that nothing in this world that is good is truly good unless it comes from God. God is the source of all life. God is the source of all goodness. So if something comes outside of that source, then it is not truly life-giving. It is not truly good. Because again, Christ is the source of it all. God's character never changes. He is the same God in Genesis 1. He is the same God all throughout history, all throughout time. He is the same God now, and He's the same God always. He never changes, which means He always gives good and perfect gifts. It is by His good will that He brought us forth. It is by His good will that we are saved. This gift of eternal life comes from God and God alone. 
Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And he brings it all to us. Verse 19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This is something my mom would tell me and my siblings all the time growing up. I had three siblings. We would fight a lot, and my mom would always sit us down and tell us uh, uh, to be quick to hear, so to speak, and so to anger. Right, if you grow up with siblings, you know that sometimes you get a little snappy. They'll start poking you, and you smack them right back. But Scripture says no, to be, slow, to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. How many of us have said dumb things? We often regret when we speak out of anger. In the heat of the moment, we get so anger, so fired up, that we lash out. And later we look back and say, I shouldn't have done that. We're just filled with regret. Sometimes that anger is justified. There is such thing as a righteous anger. Christ has a righteous anger. But what does it say? It says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Whether I feel my anger is justified or not, the, uh, more often than not, my anger does not produce the righteousness of God. In Proverbs 15.1, it says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And in chapter 17, verse 28, it says, Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise when he closes his lips. He is deemed intelligent. Again, this concept of, of being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, being patient. Going back to uh, uh, verse 5 says, hey, if you lack wisdom, ask God for wisdom. God, I'm angry. I'm mad. Give me the wisdom how to respond. God, give me the wisdom to say the right words. It says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. This idea of putting off this filthiness and rampant wickedness, this anger, and receive with meekness the implanted word, with humility, this implanted word, the word of God, which is able to save your souls, which again is this uh, uh, process of sanctification, process of being made holy. And it's through the word of God, not through anger, not through reacting, not through my words. Like I said, even a righteous anger can't change someone's heart. For it does not produce the righteousness of God. What I say will not change someone's heart. It is only the working of the Holy Spirit. And am I going to properly represent the Holy Spirit in my anger? Most likely not. Which is why Paul said, uh, James says, uh, uh, to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. In verse 22, as we come near the end, he says, uh, uh, James says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James gives the image of a fool who, who walks up to a mirror, looks intently at himself, looks at, okay, I have a pimple here, my hair's looking like this, gotta make sure my, my jacket's looking all nice, my hat's on per, uh, properly, and immediately as soon as we walk away, we forget what we look like. How foolish is that to look into the mirror? How many of us have been that fool? Who's looked intently at a mirror, looked uh, deeply at every little thing, and as soon as we walk away, we forget what we look like. It is no different than the fool who looks in God's mirror, who looks at the implanted word, who looks at the word of God, who studies it, who goes to church and does nothing about his life when convicted by the Holy Spirit. Who, who, who is convicted by God and yet there is no behavior change based on what he sees, based on what you see, based on what uh, uh, God reveals to you. Areas in your life that you need to surrender to Him. Areas in your life that you have not fully committed to Him. Areas in your life that you are hiding. We are no different than the fool that looks intently in the mirror and forgets what they look like. To just come to church and be a hearer. Come on Thursday nights. Come uh, uh, on Sunday mornings. Go to the gathering on Tuesday nights. You lift your hands up in worship. You take notes in your in, in your journal, but you never look back at those. You never study those. You never change anything about yourselves. You're living the same life that you have been for the past five years, and there's no change. The Word of God is given to us. It is the, it is the living, moving, active Word of God given to us to stir up in our hearts, change it, and, and again, this a process of sanctification, this process of being made righteous, being made holy. And, and we're just hearers, we're not doers. And what does the Bible say? It says, go and tell everyone. When was the last time uh, uh, you talked to someone about God? When was the last time you invited someone to church on a Thursday night, on a Sunday morning? When was the last time you went and and did the things that the Bible commands us to do? Again, we're going through James and we're looking at practical steps and practical things that the Bible says of what it looks like to love God and love others. When was the last time you went and did these things? When was the last time that you asked God for wisdom? When was the last time that you uh, 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 just gave and surrendered to God? Are you still trusting in yourself? Are you still wanting to try and do things on your own? Or are you surrendering it to God and saying, God, I am at my ends. Me, I am giving it to you. I'm surrendering to you. It is the implanted Word of God. Not just in Scripture, but on our hearts. It is the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us that guides us, that moves us, that stirs up inside of us. James talks about the perfect law, and he refers to Christ, who fulfills the Old Testament law. 
And you'll see uh, uh, often throughout the, J- the book of James, he goes back and forth talking about the implanted word or the word of God. And he talks about the law and they are both referring to Christ. Again, he calls us to ask without doubting and to be a doer who acts. And what I notice in both of these cases, to ask without doubting and to be a doer who acts, both require faith and confidence in God. If I ask God without doubting and if I am someone who who does as Scripture commands, I have full faith and confidence in God. If I ask and I doubt, if I am just a hearer, more likely than not, it is because I lack the faith and confidence in God or and I'm putting too much faith and confidence in myself, too much faith and confidence in the world. The common theme is not to lean on your own understanding, to lean on the understanding of God. I say again, to ask without doubting and to be a doer who acts. Both require faith and confidence in God. And we close out in the last two verses here. Verses 26 and 27 says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Again, I just, I want to read again, verse 26 says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. How many of us know someone or are someone ourselves who claims Christ and yet is filled with gossip? Who claims Christ and yet spreads lies and rumors? Strife and fall, uh, 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 strife follows them wherever they go. Those people that are like, oh, I love God, I hate drama, but everywhere they go, drama surrounds them. It is because they, they, uh, they gossip, they talk, uh, um, and their tongue is not bridled. And, and James says here that if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And then the last thing he says is religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Especially in ancient cultures, uh, widows and orphans were considered helpless. They couldn't do a whole lot on their own. And so uh, uh, one of the priorities of the church was to care for widows, care for orphans. Today, uh, widows and orphans have a bit more freedom, but we are not to neglect them. We're not, not to neglect those forgotten by society, those, uh, the fatherless, those who have lost uh, a spouse, the widows and the widowers. We are still called to love them. Uh, ironically enough, we have an opportunity, as I mentioned this Saturday, to love someone who has recently been widowed. To care for her. To be there for her. So I encourage you guys again to come and join us. Guys, to come help move her. And then once you get to know her, uh, uh, you're there, start talking to her. Make her feel loved. 
Start to know her, get to know her story, be there for her, not just on Saturday, but for the weeks, months, years to come. To love her, to know her, to desire her the way that Christ has loved, known, and desired us. Christ has set the example so that we can go and do that to others, so that we can go and be a body of Christ, taking care of ourselves, taking care of our members. And when one of us is mourning, the Bible says to weep with those who weep, to mourn with them, to be there beside them, to lift them up and encourage them. And we have a member of our church who has recently lost her husband. And I can't imagine the hardship she is going through. And I encourage you guys, to find out who she is and to just love on her. Take care of her. The last thing I have to say is that uh, James says to keep oneself unstained from the world. It's similar imagery to being a lamb without blemish. And the way we do this is to remain steadfast in trials. Remain steadfast in hardships. And then as I sort of just mentioned, to come alongside our brothers and our sisters and encourage them to remain steadfast when they're going through trials, when they're going through hardships. To remind each other that you are not alone. That we don't have to go through this life by ourselves, but God has given us each other. He has given us the, the, these brothers and sisters around us in this very room to love each other and encourage each other, to help each other walk along this path, to encourage each other in steadfastness and righteousness. He has given us Himself. He gave His own life for us. He's given us His Scriptures, His very words to remind us of this. So again, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their, in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let us close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you just for this evening and this reminder, God, of what it looks like to count it all joy. God, I pray that you would just be with all of us here tonight, God. Some of us who are going through hardship, some of us who have been through hardship. God, I pray that you would remind us and count it all joy. God, that we would love one another and encourage each other to count it all joy. Help us tonight, Father, to bear one another's burdens and to cast all our iniquities upon you. That we lay them down at the foot of the cross and surrender it to you. God, I pray that as we continue in the series of this, uh, the study of the book of James, God, that you would just remind us of just practical ways to surrender ourselves to you and to live this life of righteousness. God, I pray that we would do this all not for ourselves, but for you and your glory. That you would just present opportunities for us to share the gospel and share what you have done. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And it's in your holy and righteous name we pray. Amen. Hey, you've been listening to a Viewpoint sermon on the Viewpoint Podcast Network. If you are interested in hearing more or getting connected to our ministry, make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen and to follow our Instagram over at Viewpoint underscore VVBC. Thanks again for listening and have a blessed day.